This is episode 69 of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast, and I'm John S. Today we'll speak with Jennifer C., who'll share her story with us and talk about how she approaches the 12 steps. She'll also talk about how Al-Anon plays an important role in her recovery. What an interesting conversation. I enjoyed it. I think you will too. Hey Jennifer, how you doing? I'm doing all right this morning. Well, thank you very much for agreeing to come on and talk to me. Um, I ran into you on Facebook and uh, I don't know how that, how that happened, but some people said, I'd like to hear Jennifer. I said, well, Jennifer, yeah, come on. <laughs> that's that's pretty nice that, that they asked of that. And it's always nice to do these podcasts, too. I This is actually my favorite. One of my favorite things to do is to start the day on a Saturday morning with a cup of coffee and recording a podcast with someone in AA where I get to know them a little bit better, hear their story. So why don't we get into it? Um, you want to kind of just start with an introduction of yourself and, you know, what got you into the program and we'll just kind of take it from there. Well, I was introduced to the program at 13. I was um, in Alateen. And then by 15, I was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what I found was I had always kind of felt like that square peg in a round hole and never felt like I fit in. I had those social insecurities. So I could actually say I had all the characteristics of alcoholism before I ever picked up a drink. Mm -hmm. They were all there. And then, um, and I drank a few times. Was I a full-blown alcoholic? No. Um, but I, I completely related to everyone's emotions and feelings and working the steps helped. And I found a place where I had instant friends. I was, you know, there was a group of probably 30 young people. Young people were really big in the Mm eighties. And, um, and I just felt like I fit in. I felt like I had this instant friendships and acceptance and I could share all the bizarre things that I was thinking and feeling even just from growing up um, in alcoholism. That's interesting that the 1980s was like a, a good time for younger people. I kind of, that was my experience too. Although I wasn't as young as you, I was still in my 20s and there were quite a few few of us at that time in my group that were getting sober. And that, I actually found that kind of, you know, kind of nice actually. So, um, so have you been in the program all this time then? Um, no, I, w- I went to meetings for about 16 years and I had moved all over the country and it was really hard to adjust. And it seemed like the further that I got away from the program, the more I didn't want to go. Yeah. It, it felt more like a chore. And since I didn't have those people in my life, I, I began to even forget about alcoholism as even a part of my life. Mm-hmm. And so did you relapse or did you? Um, yes. So after, um, so I stopped going to meetings at about 16 years at about 22 years. Um, it was in 2005. I, I hadn't been to meetings in, you know, like seven years. And I, my husband at the time we, we got together and he had never drank. And, um, we went into a restaurant and he said, you know, just have a glass of wine. You're probably not an alcoholic. I mean, you were 15 years old when you got sober chances of you being an alcoholic. I mean, come on, really? 
And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm probably not an alcoholic. And I hadn't shared with anybody Mm -hmm. that I was an alcoholic or that I had been a member of AA for quite a few years. Mm -hmm. It had been quite a few years. Um, However, my mom was still in the program. My mom has 34 years now. And um, so I, I had a glass of wine and it tasted horrible. But the sky didn't fall. Yeah. And I immediately I thought, huh, I can drink. I can drink. I could probably drink like a normal person. I'm going to try it again tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And and it kind of I spent a lot of time doing a very controlled drinking. So I used a lot of prescription drugs and um, and a lot of marijuana mm-hmm. in addition to then I kind of rationalized it because I didn't quite have to drink as much. So but right from the get go, I I was off and running. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of uh, something that's always kind of been in the back of my mind. Not, not all the time, but you know, I got sober. My my last drink was when I was 25 and you know, sometimes I I'll, I'll, you know, it'll happen. I'll have this thought, was I just going through a weird phase or something (laughs) 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 for like the past, the past 30 years I've been going through this phase thinking, but you know what, then I've talked to a lot of people that were like me and you that came in at a younger age and then drank later and they found out, yeah, yeah, it it got, it got really bad. And just, so, um, I don't think any of us really show up in the rooms by mistake, to be honest with you. Uh, Yeah, no, I was miserable. I was completely, utterly miserable. Um, and, and drinking sound like a really good idea. I, I had no program, you know, mm-hmm. I, I wasn't processing reality anymore. I, if anything, I just would use the steps to beat the crap out of myself. So, um, once you got back into the program, wh- when, when was this and what, what was that experience like? It was, um, it was in December of, of 2012 mm-hmm. and my son was having problems and, for it had probably been a solid two years that I kept thinking, you know where to go for help. And geez, Jen, you're an alcoholic. Holy crap. Look at the drugs you're drink- taking along with the booze. You can't not drink. And I would do this little test with myself, you know, or I'd be like, all right, I'm not going to drink this week. And, you know, by by the second day, I had already forgotten why I wasn't going to drink. Because I, 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 I could never remember, you know, the, the throwing up that happened the few days before that or the incredible, horrible fights, you know, within the family structure. And, and, and I drink again. And I knew that was alcoholism because I, I still had a copy of a, a second edition and a third edition big book mm-hmm. um, packed away. <laughs> but but I had you know, I had enough knowledge to know. And. I I went to my son and, and I just something shifted in me where I saw him in such a really just a horrendous space. And I went to him and I said, Drew, I'm an alcoholic and I used to have 22 years of sobriety and I went to Alcoholics Anonymous. And he looked at me and he goes, well, I know you're an alcoholic. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said, but I had no idea that you were sober all that time wow. and that you were in AA and had knowledge of this. And he felt a little bit betrayed and lied to. Oh. And it was kind of, that was kind of interesting. Yeah. So we went to a meeting. I took him to a meeting. And the experience walking into the first meeting was, it was humiliating. It wasn't humbling. Mm -hmm. I could stop crying. I knew that once I walked through the doors again, 
that the work would begin. Mm-hmm. You know, I knew how much it took to get sober. And I knew how incredibly crazy I was. Mm-hmm. I had this old knowledge, even though I couldn't see outside myself, I still had this intuition of, geez, Jen, you're really messed up. So I got a sponsor that day. I got a whole list of phone numbers because I was terrified. I knew I could not drink. Uh, And I was absolutely terrified to drink. So I did whatever they told me to do. I mean, just whatever. Sure. I was in so much pain. You know, the one thing about about step one that I think sometimes gets overlooked is there are two parts to it. And, And when I look at the first part of step one and I look at the powerlessness, I look at it in a couple different ways. First of all, I look at it as when I ingest alcohol, what happens to my body? So that level of powerlessness where once I start drinking, I have absolutely no idea when I'll stop or how much I'll drink. And then also look at it from the from the powerless standpoint of what happens to my mind, that that obsession. Right. That just completely takes over regardless if I have alcohol in my system or not. And then if I look at the unmanageability, I look at that as alcoholism. Not what happened when I was drinking, but the first 18 months sober, that's when my alcoholism, I, the minute I stop yeah. using any substances, my life was completely unmanageable. Yep. Yeah. Internally, externally, it was a wreck. So I, that's how I look at step one. Yeah, I, I, I do too. It's kind of like um, step one is almost like looking back, acknowledging or accepting, you know, the, the facts, you know, that, um, yeah, I was addicted to alcohol. And, um, you know, I was and in that sense, I was powerless. Um, and like you say, I, uh, I can I can understand that I, I had a really tough time. I think that when I was drinking, and it's probably how all of us are, we're, we're not really um, experiencing life, you know, we're just kind of um, reacting to it. At least I was. Oh, yeah. I was just dealing with whatever problem or situation came around, you know, and I wasn't really learning from it or growing as a person. And I didn't really understand how I didn't really have, you know, I didn't have any of any of the tools that I have now. So I was kind of lost. Um, I guess a lot of times, though, too, I think about that unmanageability of just the fact that I my life wasn't working. It just wasn't working. No. Yeah, mine wasn't either. Um, life happened to me. I had absolutely no idea that I had choices. I could no longer see the choices. And, you know, everything was huge and it all compiled all together. So when you, when you were first approaching the steps like this, Jennifer, and the program, were you doing it automatically, immediately from like a secular perspective? Or did you have to eventually come around and, and, and adapt to a different, you know, way of viewing it? How did you, you deal with that? Um, no, I prayed on my knees. Mm-hmm. I prayed on my knees many, many, many times during throughout the day mm-hmm. um, because I wanted to drink that badly. Yeah, I did the same thing. And I would be praying on my knees and I would, it would just be this begging, you know, and then I'd finally call someone and I'd feel better. But I couldn't relate that because it just seems like there's a disconnect in Alcoholics Anonymous where I have this action. I call someone. So how is that just God? Right. You know, so I, 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 and then I started, I did a set of steps with a lady and then I found this woman that knew the big book better than I did. And we went through it sentence by sentence. Mm-hmm. And 
I desperately wanted to believe because, you know, like it says in the book, um, you, I was explained to me like the mental black, uh, blank spot being that you never know, like your disease can just come up and grab you. Right. Uh-huh. And the only thing you have to save you is God. Right. And that, right. And, and that's it. And so I was absolutely terrified. Yeah. I, I was really incredibly sick when I got, when I got sober and, um, like I was losing all the hair on my body. My adrenal glands were shutting down. Um, and just the utter desire to drink or use was so great that it terrified me. And I knew if I'd go to a meeting or I'd call someone, hey, it would help. Right. But I really tried. And then it was probably once we got to step three, you know, they, they were saying, write down a list of what you want in a higher power. And I'd write it down and I'd go back and I'd say, but this is my imagination. How could I possibly know? Isn't this me, you know, saying this is what I want? But I had to kind of take my brain and shift it a different direction. What I did was I did this exercise as a part of um, not playing God, where everything that happened in my life, no matter what it was, I would look at it from a perspective of it just is happening and give thanks for it. And that's it. And I started seeing the ridiculousness of that everything in my life would come from this higher power. It started seeming ridiculous. And and then I started talking to Mark and uh, I started asking him questions and he started asking me questions that got me thinking in a different direction. Mm-hmm. And the shift happened. It felt like a very raw place where I had already been taken to a place through the questioning and then through through the inventory process and looking at the fear inventory, my, my major fear was there is no God. There is no God. There's no one to forgive me. There is no great afterlife. This is it. And I had better forgive myself. And and so I began to, to question myself. And Mark asked me, he said, um, who are you? That's the one question that you need to ask yourself. Mm -hmm. So I really began to delve into who am I and what do I believe? And what are the beliefs that I'm carrying around? You know, some of the beliefs I was carrying around, they weren't mine. I hadn't examined them enough to know that it really wasn't me. Mm -hmm. And I had been such a big book thumper, fear-based that when I said, uh, when I stopped that, like people were like, oh, thank God you stopped doing that because <laughs> you're so obnoxious. Yeah. You were, I was so obnoxious, you know, and it was my own fear. I was terrified. I find it interesting that you, that of all the, when you were listening to your fears, that, that the fear of there not being a God was, was in there. I, you know, that didn't come up for me, but I could, I, that was a deep fear because I know when I, um, that was what I felt when I first kind of accepted that I was an atheist. I was actually afraid. I, I, I felt a sense of fear within myself that, oh my God, what the hell now, you know? Right. Um, with everything, with AA, with what happens beyond this life and, and everything. Oh, absolutely. Just... Yeah, everything. People that were approaching me, you know, because I had always had these really bizarre beliefs of like, you know, this person's brought into my life for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I had this very esoteric, you know, bizarre weirdness um, from when I was raised and, and, you know, going to different kind of weird churches. and. Yeah. And I and I I had to question all of it. And I literally I was like, wow, I have no legs to stand on. I have absolutely no idea what I believe. 
it's almost like the inventory brought you brought is through the inventory process maybe that got you into into accepting your own secular worldview. Yeah, to to examine that. Wait, what do I really believe? And um, another really big thing that helped me was the set aside prayer because in this prayer I'm saying, help me set aside everything I think I know about myself, the 12 steps, alcoholism, and especially you, God. So I thought to myself, if I'm setting aside everything I think I know about all of these things, what do I actually know? How can I get a new experience? Because that was the one thing that I did find when I came back in. I had a really big chip on my shoulder still because it was incredibly difficult to be, have been, you know, an old timer and, and then walk in brand new. Right. Some people would look at me. I mean, there were people that were saying, oh, unless you make it to 10 years, everyone that comes back in after they've had long-term sobriety, they go out. And I thought, hell's bells, that is not going to be me. Watch, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, because I I knew I didn't want to go back to that. And some people treated me like, you know, I'm just a new person. And other people came to me and they said, no, all that knowledge that you had from before and, and including my sponsor at the time, mm-hmm. who's really taking me through the book. She said, all of that is still there Absolutely. and you never have stayed sober regardless that long before if you didn't have some kind of a program. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's exactly how that's what, that's what, how I feel. And that's how, you know, anytime in our group, that's how we we always approach it. It's like, yeah, OK, you have not lost any, all that you had in the past is still there. You know, um, you've learned you've grown as a person, you know, and this is just a continuing of our growth and, and, and development, you know, as human beings. So, yeah. Yeah. The one thing that was true, though, was regardless of all the knowledge that I had before, I was still a new person in my mind, in my body. Yeah. Yeah. Because my emotions, I was so raw. You know, I remember this old timer guy came up to me and he's like, well, you used to have this much sobriety. Who cares if you only have three months? Don't you can't you date now? And I'm like, wait a minute, I'm a new person. I and if you're attracted to me, I don't want to have anything to do with you. Yeah. You know, so it was just this very regardless that I had all this knowledge, I needed to experience sure. it again because I was incredibly broken. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just the process of addiction and um, and that and that having our lives uh, taken over, um, it's frightening, you know, and I, I mean, that's that was the I mean, that was what I felt um, coming in into the program. I, first of all, I was like, wow, how could this have even happened? And I not even know about it and, and not have any control over it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I can understand how, you know, in spite of what you know, sobriety a person might have had prior, you're still going to feel that, you know, what they would call ego deflation at depth. You're going to, you're going to feel that, that, that humility, I guess, of, of being powerless, you know, um, because yeah, it is. Um, There's no doubt about that. I think that was one thing that they really got right. Honestly, Um, when I read that first step for the first time, I thought that was really a perfect description of my life. And I know that other people today, and maybe it's a, you know, younger people might have a problem with the word powerless. But I really thought that was a really excellent description of what was going on in my life at the time. I couldn't think of a better way to, to put it. Um, and then when Bill t- writes about the ego deflation at depth, um, that I felt like that was what I experienced too. I think they got that right. Yeah. Well, um, it's definitely not better if you, when you go out, cause, yeah. um, I had, I had, I my body was sick for a solid 18 months. My sponsor kept telling me, oh, another fog will lift. Mm-hmm. And it did. And it kept, cause it took me that long mm-hmm. for my body to, to really begin to recover. Mm-hmm. And 
my mind just keeps growing as I learn who I am and more about myself. Yeah. So, and then you also mentioned that when you were um, like, you know, you'd go to meetings and you'd feel better. And I experienced that too. Or you'd call somebody and that would help. So you were kind of recognizing it was these things that we do that was, that was helping you. Right. And I kept saying, you know, and I, the one thing that I would hear people say is, you know, action, service, work steps, you know, and so I started thinking how much of this is, is action based. Mm -hmm. And I had this saying at the beginning because my emotional state and my thoughts were all about wanting to drink or use. Yeah. And I would just tell myself over and over again, it doesn't matter what I think or feel. It's my actions that will keep me sober. I had to say that over and over and over again. Yeah. I say that. I I think I was like that too. I wasn't really aware of it, but now looking back, there were little clues that I was an atheist, I think, because there were certain things in the big book that made me feel better. One of them was um, the entire psychic change. And the other one was describing the um, program as a practical program of action. Yeah. And that always made me feel better. It's like I, it was something I could hang on to. The other stuff, I, in a way, I may have, I might have enjoyed the mysticism and the mystery and all of that kind of stuff of the spirituality, but also kind of made me feel uneasy and confused sometimes. Whereas I really liked focusing on the things I could do. You know, I could go to meetings, I could call people, I could take an inventory, I could make amends. These are all things that we actually do. I could meditate, whatever. You know, these are actions and, and things that right. we could do. And I always kind of, and I always thought too, I said, well, these things must provide some sort of psychological benefit. And I always tied that into that entire psychic change. So, and on one level, even though I was on my knees and praying and, and mouthing all the God stuff for many, many years, I always kind of, I always kind of went back to that practical program of action. As, yeah, you know. that's definitely true. And and that was the other thing that I, I'd heard over and over and over again, too, is go back to the basics. If you feel like, you know, you're slipping or, or something's going on, go to meetings, start calling people. You know, those basics are the things that I did that helped the most. Mm-hmm. I started picking people up for meetings. Um and, and the people that came in with me, it took them a while. It's I think one of them now has like six months and the other one has a couple of years. And but um, but I kept watching them relapse. And I was so terrified that I, I just had this feeling like, yeah, I mean, they're all in or I'm all out yeah. because I couldn't walk into a meeting on any substance. Yeah. I couldn't do it. I wouldn't go through the doors. So I'd be like, hell no, I'm going to the bar. So. Yeah, when you were going to meetings, what where, what part of the country? Where were you? Um, I was in Oregon, and I okay. still go to meetings. And in Oregon, then um, I, I've heard different. I get you know I know Oregon's a huge place, so you've got, um, and I, I'm sure that it's probably more liberal in the bigger cities and 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 not so in the smaller towns and so forth. But when you were going to meetings there, did you have a difficult time with? the, you know, as you were coming to realize that, you know, you were approaching this from a more secular perspective than a more spiritual way? Did you have any difficulty with the people uh, in the room? Yeah, I did. I I had a lot of anger. I started to have anger um, because I felt like people were saying, oh, it's okay. Just keep coming back and you'll get your higher power back. Yeah. And, And I thought to myself, but why do I need something that's called God? 
Mm-hmm. It says I need a power greater than self. And I would just say, you know, there are many powers greater than self. Mm-hmm. Many. So that's easy for me. I can grasp that. But I couldn't grasp that there's this one something and that everyone had their own description of it. Yeah. And it was individual to them. I thought, yeah, that doesn't make sense to me. I, and, and it took a while for that shift to actually happen. And, and it was scary. And there was a time where then I did have a hard time going to meetings, mm-hmm. but I, I just kind of kept going. And then um, the, the AA where I was in Oregon, um, it was very, there was a lot of dogmatic, traditional, you know, this is the way you're supposed to do things. Mm-hmm. And I found that difficult. So I went to like a meditation meeting. Yeah. And I and I sought out people that had been around a long time that had already kind of chilled out. They had yeah. already passed that, you know, five year to eight year mark and and they were already chilled out. Yeah. Yeah. So I hung with them mm-hmm. and, and they weren't. I found that the, the people that really had a program, they weren't the ones that were judging me at all. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, that 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 is true, and it's also true. It's fun, kind of funny, even from my experience and even your experience and other people I talk to. When we are new, that's when we're probably more likely to, you know, really want to have some sort of structured, you know, definite way. And I guess we're also more willing to to do, you know, what other people are suggesting. But then after a while, we kind of come into our own um, our own comfort level with with the program. Um, and then we have, but then we have to deal with other people, I guess for, for someone like me anyway, I, I have a hard time with AA actually, um, other meetings. I, I have secular meetings I go to, which are nice, but, um, sometimes I have a difficult time with, um, oh, feeling like I have to uh, be careful what I say in a meeting because I know someone's going to, um, try to correct me or, you know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that still well, happens. Well, I kind of finding, you know the fellowship that I needed. And, and uh, there was another person that had been in a meeting and always had said, you know, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God at all. Yeah. And he had, you know, over 10 years of sobriety. And I said, do you want to start a meeting? And he said, yeah. Oh, and cool. so that's when we started um, the We Agnostic meeting in Bend. And then there were about oh, nine, wow. really surprised, nine people came together to start it. Oh, awesome. I didn't we, know that you were in, you did that. Yeah. We, were, wow. and we kept it really simple, but we <laughs> wanted to keep it so that it followed the traditions. So it's yeah. like, if we're going to have a meeting in a place where in this atmosphere of Alcoholics Anonymous in that area, we need to follow the traditions uh-huh. because otherwise people won't be as accepting. And we wanted to make sure that we could have somebody in the inner group yeah. and to really represent that and and I ended up moving away and um, <clears throat> and so did he within a within a relatively short amount of time but they've kept the meeting going. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. It, I spend you know when I was going through that kind of I don't know an anger zone um, and feeling like when people were talking about God in the meetings sometimes I'd feel like they were talking to me. I mean I got that kind of egotistical about it and and so I started like really creating space for myself like um I had a cousin that that died of alcoholism and he was in his early 50s and um and we're at a meeting and they're reading a story in the back of the book about a woman that drunk 
she hit someone in a car accident, the person died, she lived, and how grateful she was that God wanted her to stay sober. Mm. And my comment was, wait a minute. So God wants me to stay sober, but my cousin died of alcoholism. And my brother died of alcoholism. I had a brother that died too. My cousin died before I, right before I got sober, and that's really shook me. But, but I, I, I said I just can't. That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't comprehend that, you know. And and I would say just point blank, I don't believe in anything like that. And I really started to just create space for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, my home group members put up with me because I never missed a meeting. Yeah. <laughs> And they were like, okay, all right. And, you know, now I've kind of chilled out a little bit. And um, I can talk about the process of the steps without having to bring God into it. Yeah, yeah, I can too. And when you do that, you know, you you could do that anywhere. You could, you could speak at any, you could speak at the most fundamentalist AA group and share your experience with the steps without having to mention God. And nobody would even notice, I don't think, you know. <laughs> did recently um i was in cleveland ohio Uh this summer and and that was where i originally got sober and um one of the people that i originally got sober with said oh my gosh you're coming through cleveland will you be here on this day will you come and speak for me and i was like yeah i'll come and speak for you and this is a lord's prayer very strict very i mean i i forgot what alcoholics anonymous was like there you know yeah. You walk in the door, there are six people standing in line to greet you. Oh, wow. And, you know, the room is filled and there's quite a few old timers and it was hard to even get a laugh. But at the end, I mean, I talked about the process and how important the process is and that, you know, this understanding some kind of God, I have absolutely no idea how to do that. Yeah. And how, and, and, how are you received at right. that meeting? Excellent. People mm-hmm. came up. People came up to me that had remembered me from before. And and I just, I still have the feeling that I do better when I go to meetings. Yeah. I like to be connected. I like to help others. Yeah. This next week, I'm speaking at two tre- at a treatment center twice. Yeah. I don't even know if I'm speaking at the same one, but I might be the same one twice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I still, there's still something about Alcoholics Anonymous that, that I really like. No, same here. And I, I'm realizing more and more all the time that it is that connection with other people. Um, I, I want, I do like that, that we have these safe places where people can go in a time of crisis. And it just, it's meaningful to me just to have a place, a, a, a place where people can go when they're in trouble and they can talk and they can, feel comfortable that what they say there is, is going to stay there, you know, and, and just, it just, I don't know. It's just something about that understanding, having people understand you when you need to be understood and, and people that will listen to you when you need to be heard. There's just a, so much, there's so much it's, that's life-saving. It was for me anyway. That's really what I needed. I had enough of the people that were lecturing me and telling me what I needed to do to get my life together. And I, honestly, my first experience in AA wasn't like that at all. My first experience in AA, people just listened to me they were very, very understanding. They shared their experience. It really wasn't until later when I got a sponsor and stuff that I started getting the, <laughs> the more <laughs> regimented yeah. stuff. And, and I remember it being that, that way in the 80s. I don't remember people being so 
strict and it's not we have to get in and you have to start the steps immediately and you yeah have that's all fairly new. new i think it might same here in fact my first sponsor I, I i thought i needed to get in those steps right away he said don't you worry about it he said all you need to do is just just go to meetings you're doing just great don't drink go to meetings call me if you need to that was all that my first sponsor wanted me to do and i kept kept thinking gosh should i be doing more and and all this the stuff but that that's how he was but you're right it was like i don't i guess i don't i don't i'm not a really um a student on the history of the um, back to basics people but i think that they really started growing um maybe the over the last 15 20 years or so sometime in the late 90s or something i guess that's when i started yeah. noticing it more around here um they brought in a back to basics um meeting at my old home group and I, I didn't know much about it, but I, I do remember that they believed that you had to go through these steps like right away. And anyway, they got some crazy groups out here too that are like, I don't, I'm not, I don't really have anything against the big book, but there's this particular group out here. Jennifer, if you went to it, it was, I mean, it's almost comical how much they worship the big book. But, um, anyway, my home group is a big book study. So there are many times, um, that I just, flat out say, wow, I just really don't agree with that. Yeah. And are you, are they okay with you saying that? Yeah. They don't care. They don't care anymore. You know, they're, they're totally okay with it. Yeah. And, um, because they see what my life is like, Uh huh. you know, and so they're really open to it. But my sponsor in AA, she is a believer and, and I'll be talking to her and she'll say, well, maybe you should, I, I would just pray about this. And so what I think when she says that to me is, huh, what am I not seeing and how can I reframe this? Right. How can I sh- shift my perspective? You know, what might be something that I can tell myself differently about this situation so that I can have acceptance? Right. You know, I just shift it. And she yeah. knows I don't pray. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because and I, I have no problem either like understanding having other people go through the steps and take me through and show me their process because I learn something new every time it doesn't matter if they believe and it doesn't matter you know that's a really good point because that's a very good point Jennifer and that might actually be something I'm missing out on not being around the the believers because you're right if you're if you listen to what to them and even the praying when you were talking about your sponsor and how you would think about that boy there's a lot of power in that because you know actually the way I would say is someone said why don't you pray about it I say okay well I'm not going to do that but when you think about it Okay, I'm gonna contemplate. I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna go rush off and do something. I'm gonna. I'm gonna go someplace. I'm just kind of c- contemplate what's going on. You know, think about what other actions I could take. You know. Um, yeah, I started the steps um, with uh, an Al-Anon lady, and I told her straight out. I'm like, look, I am completely. I'm. I'm like. I'm an atheist. Mm-hmm. I. I'm agnostic. Athe- I don't even know, yeah. but. All I know is I don't think that it makes that much of a difference in this whole, you know, higher power thing. And she said, okay, so you, she heard me use the term power greater than self. She goes, all right, so, so what do you do when something comes up? I said, well, sometimes I'll go for a walk. She goes, okay, great. Then as you're walking and stepping, the pavement's a power greater than yourself because it's helping you process. Mm-hmm. You know, she had me look at, the, and she's great because her perspective on things she's so incredibly open and and she kind of will shift things for me Mm -hmm. and I go yeah all right you're right 
getting out and walking and moving my feet on the pavement or on the grass or out in nature, it helps me to shift my perspective. Therefore, why not? It can be a power greater than myself. It really does. In fact, I'm going to take a walk today. <laughs> I, need to get, I need to get some exercise anyway. That's a that's a good thing to do. And actually, I remember too. My um, I, there was a time I was um, uh, all my life I've been dealing with depression. But I was in a I was uh, in this group um, therapy session once, and I had a really great psychologist. And he would always say that the best thing to um, help you with depression is action, taking a walk. You know, even if you don't feel like it. Just doing that action just helps, you know. Um, and I think he's right; it, it does help, and it is a it is a good thing. And I used to uh, uh, talking to people. This is stupid, but I I always think about. I, I okay, never mind. But I need to I need to I need to take a walk. I need to drive my bike. I used to enjoy that stuff. I don't do it anymore. I just I'm sitting here on my computer talking to people. <laughs> Right. So, but yeah, you're right. That there is a, there's that kind of thing. Um, I used to see like um, running and biking and walking almost as a form of meditation because when you do that, you know, you're just um, you know you can yeah, something happens with my my thinking just changes. You know, so yeah, I, I what she said to you makes sense to me. Right. It really does. And then um, one thing that I learned about the four steps. So. If something comes up right in my that moment, that day is something I feel like this little twinge in my gut of anger about something towards someone. I, I immediately stop and just be like, what is really going on? What is my base fear? What's really, you know, I have to force myself to look at what's happening underneath the surface because the situation in the story, that doesn't ever matter. No matters is how am I processing this internally where I'm getting this reaction? Cause yep. that's the only thing I can control. Yep. I, I still believe that <clears throat> that whole process of, excuse me, <clears throat> the inventory process is the most valuable tool that I've learned in AA, but I'm not really good at um, using it until things get a little bit out of hand. You know, I have to feel some, I still have to feel some sort of pain in my life for whatever reason before I really start um, taking a look at why I'm reacting like I am. But at least I do have that, that way of understanding what's going on. But I could do better, like you said, if I could just, anytime I'm feeling that resentment or whatever, to start, you know, doing the inventory and questioning. I am, though, getting better, Jennifer. A little thing I do at work, this is where I have my biggest problems at work. Mm-hmm. I just say, focus, focus, focus. I, Whenever I start feeling angry or something, and I also have this rule, don't ever send an email when you're angry. <laughs> focus, <laughs> focus, focus. Don't don't email when you're angry. <laughs> so anyway, right. If people only knew how crazy I was. Anyway. I, You know, I, I do have to say that, the gentler way in Al-Anon, I'm, the majority of the meetings I go to right now are Al-Anon. Yeah. Um, and, and the gentler approach has really helped me soften my own self and how, and how I um, process the steps instead of telling myself I should be or I just, I, I have a little bit more gentle. Like, did you know how you go through time and then and then all of a sudden you kind of have this wake up and you go oh my gosh I was just behaving like that and yeah 
or I go through this time where I'm feeling these intense emotions and then and then something clicks and all of a sudden I go, oh, wow, okay, wait a minute. And I like have this remembering of, of how not to be suffering because I just don't suffer well. I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I get miserable and I fight it. I just mm-hmm. don't want to be feeling this way and I don't want to feel this. And a little bit of what I've learned is to just, can I just let it be? You know, there are no emergencies. Can I just let it be and just feel this for 24 hours without doing anything? Yeah. Now, it makes it so much simpler. I just try to keep things, just little action things that are just so simple. But sometimes it takes me like a little while. I have to talk to someone and kind of dig through my emotions that have kind of exploded on the surface. I don't know how else to put it. Um, I have to kind of dig under that. And, and a lot of times I just, I need the feedback from somebody else mm-hmm. and, and someone else who kind of understands the process and, and has been in the crazy, Yeah, you know, cause that doesn't seem to go away. Yeah. That's interesting that you find, I, I haven't really had much experience with Al-Anon, uh, but that's interesting that you find it kind of a softer approach. Oh, it totally is. It's helped me with relationships, period. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I actually, I've created a lot of the fellowship that I really, really love is with other Al-Anons that aren't in AA. Oh, wow. Just some absolutely beautiful women. And, um, and to tell you, they're the ones that I usually call first. Wasn't that neat? I like. I really like Al-Anon. Um, yeah. I, there's a real need for it. My my um, mother-in-law actually um, goes to Al-Anon and she loves it, and it really helped her a lot. As my um, sister-in-law was dealing with alcoholism, and so that I know about from from her. But then um, the one experience I had, I went on a twelve-step call um, to this guy's house. He was an alcoholic, drinking bad, and everything, but his wife was there with him. Mm-hmm. And his wife was um, beaten. He beat his wife awful. Wow. And it was obvious. And it was like stereotypical where the wife just would say that, oh, she fell down or something like that. And yeah. it was just, you know, me and this other guy were in there. And it was like, we didn't even care about the drunk guy anymore. You know, <laughs> we didn't care. And, and that woman was hurting so bad. But somehow I ended up taking her to an Al-Anon meeting and I watched those people in that room just give her so much love and understanding and it, and just witnessing that was just such a, uh, I'll never forget that experience, you know, because I, I you know, I, I was, I was not an Al-Anon, but boy, I could, I could see how life-saving that was. I don't know whatever happened to her, you know, um, I kind of remember I was staying in touch with her for a little while and she got a sponsor and so forth, but I don't know if she stuck with it. I hope she did. But boy, um, to that, you really need something like that. It's nice to have something oh. like that for people. It, and for me, growing up in alcoholism, there are times I have one normal friend and um, and I and I'll go to her and I'll literally say, I have absolutely no idea what a normal response or boundary is for this situation. What would you do? Because I find that I don't know what normal is, you know, Mm. I mean, it's just like in relationship with my partner. There are times when I'm so triggered and so pulled back into something um, that I literally have to just stop, you know, and he's awesome because he has his, he's very defined in his own boundaries and who he is. And he'll just say, wait a minute, 
I don't think that that's about me. And I'll just be like, wow, well, that was just a slap in the face. I I guess I got to look at myself. Hmm. And when someone, it just, it really, but Al-Anon's kind of has this where it's okay for me to go through those things. Mm -hmm. Whereas I've had this um, other belief with AA is like, oh, well, then you must not be doing this right. Or you must not step or blah, blah, blah. And Al-Anon doesn't do that. But it's not life, it's not life or death. Right. Quite as much. I mean, there are plenty of Al-Anons that suffer from horrible, horrible um, depression. Sure. And the one thing that I found was that um, when I first went to Al-Anon, it was very difficult for me not to hear them talking the pain that they went through as me being the alcoholic. It took a while for my perspective to shift and for me to begin to hear my life as a um, as the Al-Anon mm-hmm. and to look at how I was processing things and, and what part of it is growing up in alcoholism and what part of it is, you know, the alcoholic in me. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. That's really good stuff. I'm glad that you brought that up. Um, you know, this is, we haven't actually talked about Al-Anon on this podcast. Um, you know, occasionally we get, a, we get an email from someone in Al-Anon who's looking for a secular um, Al-Anon meeting. And I don't know if there's ever been any that have ever started up or not, but, um, uh, I don't know if there's a need for it. Really? I mean, you know, they don't care. Yeah. I say, you know what? I'm an atheist or, I mean, and there've been plenty of times where I say, gosh, you know, I just don't believe that at all. No one says anything. No one tries to fix me. Yeah. No one tells me, oh, this isn't the way you do it. That's so interesting. It sounds like it sounds like um, because, like you said, like in AA, I think that our our culture was um, really uh, impacted by your home state in Cleveland. Um, the the old Akron style AA um, has kind of where you know your life depends upon you doing it just this way. Get on your knees, you know, all this kind of, you know, yeah. um, that, that kind of thing. And Al-Anon never probably had to deal with that. You know, they never, they never had that infiltrate, infiltrate into their culture. Maybe it's kind of interesting. Yeah. In my, yeah. I mean, we could do a, a whole podcast on Al-Anon, you know, yeah, they always right. are bringing in literature. New literature happens all the time. Really? You know, there are multiple books that have different questions for the steps there, it's not just this is the one way and here's how you do it in well, this isn't book. isn't that interesting? I had no there's, idea. There's at least five different places that you can do a different fourth step from. And then wow. they do this thing, take the traditions and there's this book, they take the traditions and they turn it into the questions are all personal and uh-huh. how you work tradition in your life and that has really shifted my view too it's fascinating i've learned a lot in al-anon i'm gonna have to check it out that's isn't that interesting though that (laughs) al-anon is going to come up with new books on all of the aa doesn't (laughs) and AA i know it's kind of crazy you know and if you're going to check it out um i suggest that you go to six meetings and then if you're serious about al-anon three meetings a week means that you're serious because one a week won't get you very far, but yeah. you know, I go, I go to at least three Al-Anon meetings a week and I go to one AA meeting. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I go to a lot of AA meetings now, but well, I go at least to three a week cause we have a lot, we have a lot of secular meetings now where I live. Um, 
So we have one every day of the week. So that's that's what I've been doing. But I need to broaden my horizons. There's a lot of things I'm getting interested in. There's a refuge recovery meeting that's starting up here. I want to kind of um, investigate that a little bit. Um, now I'm kind of getting interested in Alan. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot there's a lot of stuff out there. But um, it's I love that um, all of this kind of started with Bill and Bob back in the thirties, but, but there's certain people and groups that are expanding on it and um, it's thriving. And that, I think that's great. So in Al-Anon, you have a slip every day. Oh, so you walk into the meeting and you literally say, this is how I screwed up today. Isn't that something? So maybe that's why it's more gentle. Cause there is no definitive. This is the date that I got sober. Oh, isn't this that is interesting? That I, you know, because that doesn't happen. There's always different levels. <laughs> that, yeah. Okay. Go back to what you're going to say. I just so wanted, you're in Massachusetts. I am in Massachusetts. Okay. I'm I like in, New England. Um, yeah, I'm in the Berkshires. So it's a small area. Oh. There's, there's a lot of people with a lot of time that continue to go to meetings. You know, there's a woman that has 50 years of sobriety and I sat down with her the other day at a meeting and just listened to her. She's getting older and, and she's fascinating, you know, because she says things like I've I've my last three sponsors have all died. Uh-huh. So now everyone in the room is my sponsor. And I listen to everything that everyone has to say, because I never know when in life I will be going through that experience and I will need their help. Mm-hmm. And so she, she has this just very, I mean, she has her own gentle way and, and she has three of her boys are in AA and they have like 30 years of sobriety. So it's kind of, it's, she's a really great person to talk to, but I find too, maybe it is that much longer time and, and smaller meetings, people are yeah. a little more laid back. Okay. So do you have, are there secular meetings in your part there of the is. state? Okay. All right. Yeah, there is one on Monday nights. Um, and what city is that in? It's in Great Barrington. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, that's my home group, my Al-Anon home group night. Oh, okay. I happen to live in one of the my favorite parts of the country. It's beautiful here. It absolutely is. I love it there. And what what's so nice is you're out there in those beautiful mountains and the forests, but you know, you can easily get anywhere you want to go. If you want to go to Boston, if you want to go to New York, wherever you want to go, you know, if you need to if you wanted to get experience the big cities and stuff. But I love the Berkshires. I love western Massachusetts. I like Vermont too. My oh, wife yeah. and I, we got married in Vermont. Um, what was the name of that town? Wallingford, I think, Vermont. It's kinda of like in southern Vermont. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I, beautiful country. I don't, I, my geography here isn't super great. Yeah. <laughs> People will be like, you know, this place in Massachusetts. I'm like, no, I have to look at a map. I have no <laughs> idea. <laughs> you know. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. This is going to be a really great podcast. Um, I'm so glad that you brought up the Al-Anon experience. That's, that's really another, um, another, you know, aspect of recovery that is really helpful. Um, and also that we had a nice conversation about the steps and the practicality of the steps and the inventory process. Really good stuff, you know? Um, yeah, there's a lot more depth that could definitely be delved into. Sure. With each individual step. And 
I and know. I, I know that you and Ben have done that on some of them. We did. And then, you know what? You could almost like go through them again. I mean, it was like um, sometimes um, like some some of them we were more serious about than others because it kind of depended on the mood that we were in, you know. And it's like uh, like when we were talking about maybe step 11, I think we were in kind of a light mood, you know, but there's actually there's more that we could have we could have really explored with that because there's there's a lot there's a lot there that um is beyond just meditation and so forth and there's a lot that we could have really gone into it would probably a good be a good idea to um have like regular um podcasts about the steps or whatever every once in a while just to go into some more detail about about them um but yeah that's one thing i like about the steps is they are so rich and my understanding of them continues to grow and evolve all the time. Um, I could never, you know, I, I, I could just go on forever and talk about them because, um, they, because, the, because of that. But also, um, they, they're just, it's all I know. I've been doing this for a long, long time. Yeah. It's how, it's how I live. It's, it's, right. it's my way. It's my roadmap to get through life, really. You know? Yeah. I, I agree. And it, it seems like every, Every step that I take forward in the steps um, actually brings me a greater understanding to step one. Yeah. You know, and, and that simplifies it for me. You know, we were talking just a little bit before when we talked about the, when we started the podcast, that, you know, there's some people in secular AA that don't like the steps or don't mess with the steps. And that's true. I think that's their minority. But there are some people that are just violently against them too. But I think that the thing is, is, um, they don't, you almost have to use your imagination. You have to stop and ask yourself questions, you know? And, and to me, that makes it even more meaningful. It make, it makes it a better experience because you're not just taking it based upon what someone tells you they mean, but you really internalize them and put them into a, a practical, um, application in your own life. And I think, right. I think that's the benefit of really being, having a, a secular view. Um, because you can think about them and ask yourself what they mean to you. And, and like you're saying, it's experiential. So, yeah. you know, what? who cares if you go through the steps with somebody that's a believer? You don't, it doesn't mean that you have to believe what they believe. Right. That was their but, experience. Uh, but, but, it, but I like the experience of it because without actually going through it and having an understanding, I wouldn't have been able to I, – I wouldn't have been able to then – look at it more secularly and look at it from a prospect of, you know, like, um, CBD and, and, and just kind of, or CBT, yeah. whatever it's called when you, you know, just reprocessing and reframing is I can look at the process and, and because I've experienced it, I know how to do it, but I couldn't ever intellectualize it. Yeah. Yeah. I can't just read the words and think I know. Well, thank you again. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was really Thanks. nice talking to you. It was great talking to you, too. You have a nice weekend. All right. You, too. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this one. Uh, We'll be back again real soon. So grateful for your support. You all take care.